reality of Scripture is that thanksgiving, the giving of thanks to God is a mandate. You look at Psalm 107, it starts, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So it, it informs why it is that we give thanks. But what we find out is that thanksgiving isn't so much defined by an action or a procedure in which we give thanks, but it is the disposition of the redeemed because of all of the good things that the Lord has done on our behalf in Christ. And as we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 here, there are three things I think we see very clearly that Paul gives thanks, he lists them out, that Paul gives thanks for because of how they are living. And it brings to mind the question, not only is the mandate for me to, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, but to, to be reminded that not only is the blessing of me giving thanks, but that others would be moved to give thanks because of the way Christ has impacted my life and therefore how I live in reference to what he has done. Because when we read these things that Paul talks about, we find that he, he says, we thank God continually for you because, and he lists these things out, which we'll look at tonight. And so the challenge becomes to ask myself, do I live in such a way that it causes those around me to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done in my life. And not that it's about me, because here what we find, here's what we find about thanksgiving. It is not so much about the joy we receive in giving it, which we do, but it's about the glory God gets in receiving it. That's the main point. And like all things, God glorifies himself, and that is for our everlasting and eternal joy when we enter into that. So that's what I wanted to consider tonight, that very thing, the giving of thanks from the perspective of the Apostle Paul. So just the first three verses of 1 Thessalonians, if you have your uh, scriptures with you, and as Adrian Rogers would say, I trust that you do. So he says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of God of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are those three things that he lays out. And it's amazing to me that the Apostle Paul so often pairs though you can't say pair if you're talking about three things, can you? Ties together those three things. I mean, we, we're very familiar with faith, hope, and love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These are what are known as the cardinal virtues. But these things are absolutely woven into the Christian's experience. They are part of what it means to have the disposition of thanksgiving. It's how we live in reference to everything that God has done for us. And as you think about the giving of thanks, that none of us would be hard-pressed in here to, to come up with a list of things for which we are thankful for. But a lot of times, the things that come to mind that we publish in our own minds that we're thankful for are centered around our comforts, and our relations, all good things that we should be thankful for. But Thanksgiving needs to go far beyond because if we go back to the reference of Psalm 107, we give thanks because God is good. And he's not just good in the comforts and um, the relationships and all the things that we enjoy in life, but he's good all of the time in every circumstance we find ourselves in. He's good in every tragedy we may have to endure. He's good all the time. So that has to inform why it is we give thanks and how we live. So 
Uh, think about some of the things the Apostle Paul constantly says in his writings that he is thankful for. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We give thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks to God for his indescribable gift. So Paul is constantly giving thanks, but it goes beyond just his verbal expression or written expression of that thanks. So oftentimes we give him thanks, find him giving thanks for those who make up the church. That's where we fall tonight. Paul giving thanks for a group of individuals because they are living their lives openly in reference to what Christ has done for them in giving them his righteousness. So as we consider this, and what we are thankful for at this time of year, we need to stop and ask ourselves if we are living as members of a gospel community that would cause others to give thanksgiving in their own hearts and minds for us. And again, not that it's us-centered, but it's a check on how we are expressing how we live in reference to Christ. So there's an old proverb that says, a stool of three legs is not easily toppled. And I never really understood that one because it seems to be pretty easy to knock over a three-legged stool. But I think the point is, uh, what Solomon was getting at in Ecclesiastes is that a cord of three, three cords, a cord of three uh, strands, there it is, thank you, is not easily torn asunder. So it's the same thing here. We get these three things which really describe all of life. There it is, there's the dry mouth. It comes on without warning. It's weird, okay? But we're family here, so I can tell you guys all about that. So now, Paul, we, you know, obviously, when we come to the writings of Paul, like with all of Scripture, we pay attention to what he's saying here, and we dig in to find out what is really going on. Um, verse 1, we see that he is speaking specifically, specifically to a local congregation, to a local church that resides in Thessalonica. And he says it is the church of the Thessalonians, but here's what's important. He also reminds them that they are a part of something much bigger. It is not just because they reside there. It's because of who they are and who they are in. So they have a spiritual identity that takes them beyond the region in which they live. So number one, he says they are in God the Father. So they are in the shadow of his wings. They find their meaning and their purpose in him. But also, he says, they are in the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness and not their own, able to approach God through his blood only. So it informs who they are, not necessarily where they live, and we need to remember that. And it is these truths that form the foundation of the reality that Paul calls them the church. Okay, it's not based on where they live. It's who they are in and why they are in him. And I think it's important to know that Paul didn't separate these two as sometimes happens. But the reality is, is you can only be in God the Father if he has placed you graciously in Christ Jesus. And if he has placed you graciously in Christ Jesus, then you are in God the Father. And that's an amazing truth. That in itself is enough to be thankful for. So as we would expect, he blesses them with grace from God that brings peace with God, as he does in all his epistles. He has that greeting to remind us of who we are. So, but the next thing we, we see is that he gives thanks to God always for all of them. So what is it about these individuals that causes him to have a, such a strong reaction of giving thanks for them? So what would a community of faith be about in their daily lives that would bring about such an expression of ascribing glory to God for what he is doing in them? Well, then we come to the three things that he has mentioned. And it's the framework uh, in his mind 
of the life of the believer and the functioning of the body, faith, hope, and love, which we're very familiar with again. But note, before we get into those things, something else that he says here, uh, what makes up the expression of his thanksgiving is mentioning and remembering. Look at what he says here. He says, we're constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So if you are thankful for someone, a natural reaction should be that you pray for them. And that should be easy because it's the people we aren't thankful for that we find difficult to pray for, right? But when we're thankful for someone, you know, pray for them. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for the people in the pew next to you. Pray for those you love. Pray for those you are thankful for because God has placed them in your life providentially for your good. Then he says also, not, not only constantly mentioning you in our prayers, but remembering before our God and Father. Then he gets into the three things. So he carries into those prayers the knowledge of how these people are living. And the first thing he mentions is their work of faith. Now, here's where we we argue that Paul is in exact agreement with James. Because faith works, does it not? So, it's a work of faith, and the terminology shouldn't surprise us. You know, we understand, at least we confess to, that faith demonstrates itself in its work. As John Calvin said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. It works itself out. And I want you to notice for a moment, think about the biblical definition of faith from Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I love, as we work through these three things, how Every one of these are so intimately bound together that you, you, you almost cannot separate them in considering what they really mean. So, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. So, faith here is described as the assurance and a conviction. But we know that it's an assurance and conviction that leads for us to live in a very specific way. It causes us to live what James called a faith that is shown by its works. Faith keeps you busy. And, and I say that carefully because not all busyness is of faith. Busyness can lead to burnout, but there is a, a love, as we'll see in a moment, a love-fueled work that comes from faith that's a joy to enter into and keeps you, maybe active is a better word than busy. Uh, busy sometimes has a negative connotation to it. So saving faith has never been about a mental ascent to a set of doctrinal principles. So why is it that much of the church is so eager to, to buy into the lie that we, if we do certain things just by rote that we're demonstrating our faith? See, the ingredient, as we'll see in just a moment, that has to be there is this, this fuel of love that, that drives that work that we enter into. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but it becomes very clear. So to be careful, not all, not all work is of faith, but all faith must show itself in work. So it's kind of faith that results in thanksgiving to God because after all, the point of thanksgiving again is not the joy that we get in giving it but the glory that God gets in receiving it. So faith, or work of faith, not just busyness but activity that drives us because we are thankful for what God has done in us. So look at the next thing. And I should have mentioned beforehand, this isn't a sermon. This, this walks the line between devotion and sermon, if there is such a line. I think it's, it's too short to be a sermon, too long to be a devotion, so call it what you want. <laughs> but the next thing he mentions is their, their labor of love. And this, you know, we look at this and go, so is he just really just repeating himself here? 
work of faith, labor of love, because we, use, we often use the words work and labor interchangeably uh, in our language. But there's a subtle difference. And I think, and Paul uses them both here very intentionally. So labor of love, a clear connection between the work of faith that, that produces and the labor of love that is done in love. So Galatians 5, 6, watch this. This is where, again, we see that, that, that tied connection. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And there's where I get that principle that love is the fuel of the work of faith. So these things go together. You can't tear them apart. So if you have this work of faith, that work of faith will be identified if it is a labor of love. So they're the same yet distinct, if that makes any sense. Love is the fuel which drives the work of faith. And it becomes a labor of love. So the connection is hand in glove, but there is that subtle difference. The point uh, answers the question for us that the nature uh, and, and the basis of, of the work we do is love. How we love one another. And that can be a challenge, can it not? Sorry. <laughs> I hit my mic. So you know, we, we read through that and it seems simple. The labor of love. Serving in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we love one another because we love God but oftentimes that is difficult what gets in the way of the labor of love is the love of self and it, it can trip you up it becomes self-serving that's when we make this wanting to see people give thanks for us a, a self-centered issue we're making it about ourselves but what we desire to see is people giving thanks because we are living in reference to what Christ has done for us and we work and labor because of that. So the nature of faith is work and the nature of love is the labor that it drives us to. So we're not to think that we've fulfilled um, our duty to love one another because of feelings we have towards one another. This is another issue. You know, it, Love is much more than just a feeling. We can have affection for one another, but that doesn't mean that we're loving one another biblically. I can have affection for my wife all day long but if I do not live in reference to that affection she's going to have a big problem with me so you know it it must drive me to live a certain way so it's not just about the feeling but what I mean you want the feeling to be there but sometimes the feeling they ebb and flow don't they they ebb and flow in marriage they ebb and flow in your walk with Christ but maturity says that we continue to walk forward and to push and to press on in the work of faith and the labor of love to the end that those feelings do return and they are what they're supposed to be. So we answer the question here, if it is a labor of love, who is this love in reference to? I kind of hinted at it here. So is this labor of love because we love one another or is it because we love God? Yes. Yes, and in that order. Well, no, Yes, and reverse that. I said that backwards, so yes, reverse that door. It's because we love God and we love one another. The love we have drives how we live, and it always will. Everyone is hardwired. You've heard me say this before. You heard Brian say it a lot. You've heard a lot of preachers say it, but we are hardwired to worship. We are worshipers. We don't make, we don't make a decision to do that. It's something we do, and then worship is driven by what we love. And so... How we live will be driven by, and what we worship will be driven by, what we love and love intentionally. So, 
think about this. If you think about you know loving God and, and, and loving others and, and referencing again the point that, that it's not just affection but it's action, that it is work and labor. Think about these two statements from Jesus and think about how they would make any sense at all if actual action were not tied to them, if it was just about feeling. Listen to this. You know these well. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So that's the love to God. Would that make any sense? I mean, how do you display that? Is it just about affection? And then think of the second one that is in reference to love to one another. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If I simply have affection for you and do not serve you, how in the world would anybody know that I'm a disciple? It has to be something they see, right? So love will always reveal itself in action and how we live. So whereas the word for work that Paul uses here is it means to expend energy, uh, the word for labor is it's interesting. It's tied to the idea of grief and toil. So, so, so labor has, has the sense of, um, I mean, I think of labor pains that, that women endure. That is grief and toil, but tied to the most exquisite joy that they're allowed to experience here on earth, the birth of a child. So this labor of love it has that component to it. It is that we will endure grief even with one another and, and toil because we love each other, because we want to serve one another and live in reference to what Christ has done. So again, and this will result in the abounding of thanksgiving to God because we, we don't take credit for that. It's a work of grace in us by God. So the third thing he mentions is the steadfastness of hope. Um, so not only did Paul give thanks because of their faith and, their, and the love that resulted in some very specific things in the way they lived, but he rejoiced in the fact that because of this great hope they have in Jesus Christ, that they were willing to continue doing those things in difficult times. The steadfastness of hope keeps us moving forward, keeps us engaged in the work of faith and labor of love, even when it is not easy or pleasurable to do so. And it's, that shows the world that something else drives us rather than just self-interest. That it's not just about us. So, it's not just any hope, is it? I mean, he's very specific here. Your, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's a hope in the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this makes the difference in everything we experience. Every single thing we go through good times and difficult times. It is the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because biblical hope is not hope that is like, well, I hope so. Well, that's, that's an uncertainty, actually. You think this, or this is going to happen? You think this is going to work out? Well, I hope so. Biblical hope is no, I have a hope in the one who I know will bring to pass what he has promised. It, it's an anchor. It's sure. So it's more just an anticipation and waiting for what we know will come to pass. And that needs to be the anchor that we have as we seek to work a, a work of faith and labor in a labor of love. It's a steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. So hope by definition is steadfast. I mean, if, 
if, if hope starts to waver, it ceases to become hope, doesn't it? it? It can very easily become despair or uncertainty. But hope, by definition, is something that stands strong. Think of Romans 8, 24 and 25. Paul says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly await it. So there it is, that awaiting what we are sure is going to come to pass. In Hebrews 6, 19, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which one which enters into the veil or within the veil. So biblical hope is very different than a worldly hope. We're sure, not uncertain about the things that have been promised us and the perspective in which we live. And also this, 1 Peter 3.15. And I love this. And I, I think this just, this again proves the point we go back to that this is the disposition of the redeemed, how we live, the fabric of who we are that would cause thanksgiving. So it's, this is actually, you know, as we thought about how we live a life that causes others to give thanks, what we've actually described is how we live a life of thanksgiving. How it actually looks as we live day to day. So First Peter says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So even this issue of, of living a life that is anchored in hope demonstrates itself in tangible ways. It's something that people see in us. Now, and you think about the Apostle Paul giving thanks to God because of these three things in the life of the Thessalonians. It's because he could very, in a very real way, see how they were living. He was hearing a report of how they were living. These things were very tangible, that they, they worked because of their faith in Christ. They labored because of their love for God and love one another. And they continued to do so in difficult circumstances because they were hopeful in Jesus Christ and what he had promised. Knowing that he would make all things new. He would come and set all things right. So you have this. Remember these things. This work of faith. So faith drives our work. Love fuels our labor. And then Hope shapes our perseverance. You know, it's, it's difficult to persevere if you have nothing to hope in. But we have Christ. And so, but what challenges me as I looked at this was, you know, that, that Paul immediately starts out. And yes, he's, he's encouraging the church there. But he tells him, you know, this is what I thank God for continually when I remember you. Is that you do these three things. That they are evident and how you function as a body. So these aren't just individual things to think about. I mean, they are. It, they, they are. They are not less than that, but they are certainly more than that. Because remember, Paul is talking about a body of individuals here. This kind of sounds contradictory, but it's, it's a group. So the question becomes now, not only how do I live in such a way that thanksgiving would abound to God because of my life, but how do we function as Fisherville Baptist Church in such a way that people hear about what's happening here and they give thanks to God for what he is doing? And I know you guys understand that we have a lot. I mean, when you think about where we've been, 
And again, I, you know, the fabric of what's been happening at Fisherville over the past, what, six, seven months or so is, is it's been very unique in, in several ways. It's been unique because it's the circumstances when you have a couple of staff members that, and elders that, that, that are gone like that. Then God has demonstrated his faithfulness through that time continually. And then he's brought us to a place which I'm absolutely and utterly convinced is a good and biblically hopeful and strong place for us to be. And I, am, I want you to know, as, as, as just one of the elders, how thankful I am for that, that God has done this. So, so I say that because this thanksgiving that Paul gives because of the Thessalonian church is a thanksgiving that would be very easy for those around us to give because of what God has been doing here. And, and I don't want us to lose the drive to continue walking in this, to continue working out our faith. You know, just as, remember, just as James would say, you know, you say you have faith and you demonstrate it. And then loving God and loving one another in such a way that we are willing to endure grief and toil and move forward in love. I've said over and over and over again to several congregations that, you know, it, the fact that we are gathered together, that, that Christ has, that, that has so built his church that there's such varying personalities and varying um, likes and dislikes and interests, and all these, that we can come together and be bound in Christ is, takes, takes grace. It takes zero grace to have a church of Eric's which would kill one another within three weeks. You know, it takes no grace for, for a bunch of like-minded individuals to, you know, we need to be like-minded on the essentials. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm talking, you know, to just be so um, vanilla carbon copy of one another, that doesn't take grace. It takes grace for people who are so uh, radically different to come together in love and serve one another because they love God and love one another and are willing to walk through difficult times with one another to experience the labor that comes and the grief that will often come let's not lie to ourselves and and say well, that we haven't experienced grief in the body of Christ before because we do we hurt one another we seem to be very good at that it doesn't mean it's okay but what Paul would say is, you know, I think that you, you press on. In steadfastness of hope, you press on. You endure those things because the love is there. And that hope is what shapes the thanksgiving that is given on our behalf. So I say that just as a, and I told you this is kind of devotional, sermon-ish. I don't know what you call it. But just to put that thought in our mind, as, as we think about this week coming up, and it's a big week um, for a lot of us, and, and and Thanksgiving is something that is on the lips of most everyone inside and outside the church. Remembering that Thanksgiving implies there's someone to be thankful to because they have done something on our behalf. That's what the world doesn't get. So as you think about Thanksgiving, think about biblical giving of thanks. About living your life in reference to what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Living in such a way 
that others around you would thank God for how you live out your faith. And that, that you, by doing that, are automatically living in the disposition of the redeemed. A life of thanksgiving. That's not just the activity of saying, I'm so thankful and thanks be to God. But it's a daily walk of thanksgiving. Because really, we have reason every single moment of every single day of the year to celebrate thanksgiving. Because so much has been given to us in Christ. All we need has been given to us in Him. We could lose every earthly thing we have. But the most important thing will never be taken from us. And that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's enough to be thankful for. And my prayer is, you know, as we get into times around the table over this next week. There's this big thing called Friendsgiving now. We actually went to one last night. So you may find yourself in the company of a lot of people that you don't see very often. But on Thanksgiving Day, you might may find yourself, it may be a very intimate, just you and the hubby or whatever, you know, maybe that sort of event, but it may be uh, a lot of people around the same table. But think about these things in, in that moment and how you live your life in reference to Jesus and how you live a life of thanksgiving for what he's done. And may it impact those around your table uh, and those in your circle. <laughs> um, so, and that's a good thing. So live life and, and live it with thanksgiving. Look at that, I told you, I promised you we'd be out here quick. So, but here's what I want to do. Um, I just want to say, hey, we're done early. Let's shoot out. That we, we likely will. But I just want to spend just, just a, a few minutes in prayer. Um, and, and think about we've got, we've got a lot to be thankful for God has been so gracious to us and sort of prepare our hearts as we walk into this you know this is the first day of a new week uh, a week that is unique in, it, in what we celebrate so uh, just spend a, a minute or two in, in prayer um, I would ask Dan if, if uh, he would after maybe a minute or so pray and, uh, and close this out if that's alright brother